Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Evolve Move Play podcast. This week, our guest is none other than Paul Check. For those of you who are not familiar, Paul Check is an absolute titan in the health and fitness field. He's really the person who popularized the whole idea of functional fitness and beyond that, holistic fitness. He's been thinking about the intersection of meaning and movement, Jungian archetypes and uh, emotions and movement and health, uh, probably longer than almost anybody in this field. So it was an incredible pleasure to speak with him. Uh, we start the interview by kind of just laying out the basics of his four doctor philosophy, but the interview really started to take off for me and get really interesting as we dug into Paul's background um, growing up on a farm and how that impacted the way that he thinks and how we can escape this uh, analogy of the body as machine and how that misleads us. So this got really interesting and this was uh, quite a uh, an intense and interesting interview I think for both of us because we we planned an interview for about uh, 90 minutes and we ended up going for almost two, almost three hours. So we had to split this up. So this first section is gonna be mostly about uh, kind of how we look at holistic health and how we can better understand that. And then next week, we're gonna bring you a discussion between Paul and I on scientific epistemology and mysticism. Uh, and this is a place where, where we have some differences, but I think it's a, it's a very fruitful and interesting discussion. So for now, part one, uh, deep dive into holistic health and understanding better um, what our industry is getting wrong and how we can do it better. Without further ado, Paul Check. Paul, welcome to the All Move Play podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you. How are you? Thank you. Cheers. I'm great. Yeah. Fantastic. So I figured I'd start with a kind of monster question for you. Oh boy, I love those. Those are the ones that interest me. So. As, as far as I know, currently, the United States spends about $30 billion on fitness. And that's just a drop in the bucket of what we spend on pharmaceuticals and other health interventions. Or warfare. <laughs> well, true. Or, or COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's, or, let's narrow it just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit, right? Um, because you, know, you and I are both in the health and fitness industry, at least on, to some degree. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people paying a lot of money into this industry. Mm-hmm. And yet, overall, the results are that we have the least healthy human population in history. Yeah, that's easy. To, I, that's no brainer. I can tell you why that isn't a flash. Well, that's the question. What, what is the biggest missing piece to helping us solve that problem? Well, the biggest missing piece is that we have an assumption left over that's still alive from 
our academic systems that the body is a machine that food is just calories like and that you burn food like a car burns gasoline and that all it takes to change the shape of your body or to get in shape is that you exercise which is a very dangerous combination of concepts because the definition working out means that the process that you're going through that you call a workout is consuming more resources and energy than the activity is producing. Yeah. The reason I created the whole concept of working in was to show people how to use movement to cultivate more life force energy per unit of time than the exercise costs them. So they end up with a surplus. But in my system, I show people that there's, that there is um, the way the nervous system works, the whole, all the systems of the body is that all stresses in the human body summate. So when a person goes to the gym or into their backyard to swing kettlebells or whatever, all their stresses about their finances, their relationships, their sex life, their uh, sense of self, whatever is going on in their life, not only that, anything in the past that's unresolved, is a living input into the overall system. So what when a person's thinking that their body is a machine and that all they've got to do is push it to burn up a certain amount of calories and that they're going to magically transform, but they don't realize that their overall le level of readiness for exercise at any given point is the product of how much stress there is from the four key areas that I call the four doctors. Are you getting enough rest? If you're not, lacking sleep is one of the most detrimental forces on the human body. And the more sleep you're deficient in, the less anabolic recovery power you have. So therefore your capacity to rebound from exercise diminishes as you're deficient in sleep. Then you've got Dr. Happiness, which is the management of the mind. When you consider Deepak Chopra cited research showing that the average person thinks 68,000 thoughts a day of which 90% were found to be negative in orientation, you can see right away that most people's mental activity is more stressful than the workout they're doing, except it lasts all day long. And so they're not becoming conscious of how they're using their mind and instead of creating what they want, they want, they spend more time creating what they don't want with the powers of their mind. Dr. Happiness is all about being aware of what is happy making for you and scheduling it into your week so that you are sure that you build happiness, creating activities into your routine, which has a therapeutic effect on one's physical, emotional, and mental well-being, as well as their mental emotional states. We're also in a culture that has a very confused notion about how a process works, whether it be an investment or a business or the creation of something. Our culture is raised to believe if you put X amount of dollars in to any given 
project or process, you're going to get X amount out. But what we don't include is what's in the middle called a process. Therefore, you invest your money in a widget or a drug, and then the stock market crashes, and now you lost all your money, but you really thought that your 10000 was going to make you 100000 and now you're scared to death because you're broke because you ignored the reality of the middle part called the process. If you look into Hegel's philosophy, Hegel describes how creation emerges first as a thesis, then next we meet the antithesis. Our investment didn't consider fluctuations in the stock market. There's an antithesis. My investment in this new exercise gadget or my investment in this new widget that I'm going to sell, some magic toothbrush or toothpaste that's going to make me millions, turns out to be um, the materials aren't working properly or there's something in it that's causing people to have allergic reactions, dot, dot, dot. So the antithesis is the process that we go through. We meet somebody, we fall in love with them, we have wild, passionate sex, we think we're gonna live happily forever. And a year and a half later, we're fighting like cats and dogs, but now we've got a child and we don't wanna be together and we're considering getting a divorce and you're still trying to do the same workout in the backyard that you were last month before all this start to fall apart. <clears throat> Once you make it through the antithesis stage, you come into thesis, uh, synthesis. synthesis yeah. So you go thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Now, even Hegel missed one of the key aspects of the cycle. That cycle, by the way, he just put name, names to another cycle, which is far, far, far deeper and imprinted to every single electron and atom of our being which the Hindus or the yogis describe as Aum. A-U-M underscore. Ah means I awaken, which is Hegel's thesis. Ooh means I'm dreaming. And the first thing I do with people is say, what is your dream for yourself? If you come to me with a health problem, I say, what is your dream? Because without a specific dream goal or objective, you have no way to organize your energy and create meaning out of the process. And you'll be just like everyone else that goes through the movements, does as little as possible and gets very poor results because you're not participating because you don't have something drawing you forward to organize yourself. So, ah, I awaken, ooh, I'm dreaming, mm, I'm falling asleep. Ah, I awaken is birth, mm, I'm dreaming is teenage through the middle part of your life, mm, I'm falling asleep is you know when you get to be it's the fall season of your life for some that might be 50 for others it might be 60 but it's the beginning of the end of your life you could call it um, it's when you're no longer a young vital whippersnapper you've sowed your oats you've had some wild sex you've tried a few psychedelics you've collapsed a couple businesses maybe made some money maybe lost a lot and then in ohm you have underscore which means end of cycle which means there's a complete stop now that ohm cycle can easily be seen as an inhalation i awaken ooh a pause i'm dreaming exhalation m i'm falling asleep rest before the next breath you can take that cycle 
and you'll see if you follow a sine wave, it goes from a zero point to a positive back to the zero point to a negative. So if you take the two halves of that cycle and fold them together, you have a circle. If you divide it into four, you have AUM underscore. You have spring, ah, uh, summer, ooh, fall, mm, winter underscore. So what I'm showing you here is that there, there is a process that most people in our culture ignore. And the one thing that they ignore is the process. And the other thing they ignore is the need for rest. So people go from a big business project or a big uh, stressful exercise program, or you know, I've worked with myriads of athletes. For example, when I work with professional tennis players, they'd be playing the American circuit and instead of having an off season, they'd go to Brazil or they'd go to South America or somewhere and play a whole nother season, but their bodies were completely burnt out from playing the entire season over here. And all they're doing is chasing money and fame and not paying any attention to what their body's telling them and ending up spending more and more time, energy and money on doctors, therapists, wraps, straps, props, pills and pokes and cortisone injections to try to keep pushing the system because they're ignoring the primordial cycle of ohm or thesis antithesis synthesis and hegel missed the rest cycle you see so he didn't complete the cycle either he too was a western guy trapped in his head um so when you when you consider what i'm saying you have dr happiness which i covered dr movement most people are very aware of the need for movement on a physical level, but they're not paying attention to whether or not their emotional body is moving well. If you're stuck in challenging relationships that aren't being resolved well, if you're uh, uh, unresolved with trauma from your childhood, if you have broken relationships from uh, past bosses or employees, etc., then you have blockage in the flow of your emotional body if you're not using your mind creatively and doing things that inspire you to learn and to grow and to have a sense of the power and the use of your own mind, then your mind becomes stagnant, which today all you got to do is anytime you have any kind of problem with your computer or your phone, try calling for online support and see what happens. And you'll get people that barely can function and waste your time and can't get a damn thing done and it'll screw your bank accounts up your phones up because they're mentally handicapped but the average person in america has become that way because they've used social media and computers to do their thinking for them and they basically go numb and they just expect that the global internet is going to be their brain and so they can't the people wear digital watches and can't remember how to tell time when they look at an analog clock because they've forgotten what those hands mean so in the movement aspect we have to look at movement physically emotionally and mentally all of which orient that orient themselves toward meaning which is a spiritual element of it is is my movement of my physical my emotional my mental actually growing me enhancing my sense of connection and my sense of safety and security in the world and as a citizen of the cosmos or am i just stuck in my little group you know isolated in my little corner nobody loves me i didn't get enough likes on my uh, instagram account today 
then you've got Dr. Diet and most people's awareness of diet is very poor, even diet experts. In fact, when people come to me for help, I have a comprehensive diet log they have to fill in and a lot of very comprehensive questions that help me identify what's going on with their dietary inputs and its influence on their body. And the most common thing that happens when people have a degree in nutrition or their dietitians is say, I don't need to fill that out. I've got a degree in that. And I say, that means you need to pay twice as much attention when you fill it out because I've never met a nutritionist yet that knows how to eat. Maybe one, um, uh, Autumn Smith, the founder of Paleo Valley. <laughs> She's the only one I've met that actually knows how to eat. And I tell these people all the time, if you don't understand soil science, you cannot possibly understand nutrition. And I've never met a single nutritionist unless I trained them that understood soil science. So when we look at the energetic aspects of food, when we look at the quality of food and how it's farmed, when we look at the psychophysical relationships between food and its effect on us emotionally and mentally, or our biochemical interface with our subtle energy systems, which we know of as chakras and our subtle energy bodies, such as the etheric, astral, mental, and causal bodies, people just eat what they think. There's like 5,000 plus diet books in the world, all written by experts who are sure they're right, many of which argue and fight with each other. You've got the vegan fanatics, you've got the keto fanatics, you've got the uh, paleo fanatics, and none of them seem at large as a sort of a stereotypical statement. Very few people have awakened, even though I've been lecturing on this for 25 years, to this concept of individual needs and the fact that your individual dietary needs can change as quick as the weather by how you're working out, by how much physical, emotional, or mental stress you're under. And there you see people think, oh, my car runs on premium gasoline. And they just keep thinking that they're a machine putting the same stuff in, even when it's clearly screwing them up. I, I've had countless vegans and vegetarians hire me, and I'm not a cheap guy to see. You're paying 15,000 bucks to get appointments with, to get an appointment with me, because I'll only take you if you'll commit to a, a 20 hour block of time minimum, which with me is about 15 grand. And there, then I will identify that their diet is one of the main factors causing them all the trouble. And they will sit there and go off for hours telling me how good their philosophy is. And I finally reach the end of my rope and say, look, if everything you've said is true, then why are you here? And why does my analysis show your adrenal glands are burnt out? You're going hypothyroid. You got leaky gut syndrome. You're constipated. You got headaches dot, 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 because everything you just said has no correlation to the objective findings within your body. So when, without even beginning to uncover the mountain of doctor diet, then you got issues of hydration. A lot of people think coffee and tea is water. Um, now you take those four doctors and ask yourself this question how many of those four key categories of a living philosophy that cannot be reduced if you wanna be a healthy person, how many people in the world actually are consciously aware of what choices they're making in regard to 
happy making and using their mind effectively, moving their body physically, emotionally, and mentally to keep it healthy, choosing the diet needs based on what their body needs, not what somebody wrote in a book or said on some Instagram post, and how many of those people are using the science of rest effectively in general for sleep or in designing exercise programs and periodizing them properly? How many? Um, well, there's the answer to your question. Plain and simple. It's interesting. I mean, I, since I, you know, our, our mutual friend Marisol introduced me mm -hmm. to you, uh, what was it, May? Uh, I think it was in May. And so that, you know, I, I had been aware of your work for a while before then, but I, I hadn't dug as deeply into it as I wanted to. And one of the things that really stuck with me was just that this, the, the simple heuristic, it's such a simple idea that there are four doctors, mm -hmm. but I'll continually come back to it. And I'll, I, I like, I'll ask my wife, you know, you know, what do you need quiet wise? What do you need movement wise? What do you need food wise? What do you need or diet wise? What do you need? Um, fun wise and i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. that that's yes yeah, true but but it's it, when you start tuning into that it's very interesting and i mean i'm you know i'm a high level parkour athlete i've performed pretty incredible physical feats for, for many years but i've also suffered uh physical ailments mm -hmm. and one of the things that became really obvious is that uh that i was essentially like continuing to look for uh, all the nourishment from one source, right? Mm -hmm. There you yeah, go. This is something really powerful for me. Um, but what I've learned is that every transformative practice or anything, anything transformative has a dark side and a positive side, right? You can kill yourself by drinking too much water. Yeah, well, you know, everything is, you see what happens is people's lives are mirroring back the, effectiveness of their capacity to problem solve and to think and to feel there's four functions in consciousness four modes of consciousness that Jung identified thinking feeling sensation and intuition mm -hmm. the more inept you are at any of those the less conscious you are of what you're choosing consciously or unconsciously and most people are just acting out of their unconscious choosing out of their program beliefs and behaviors and they don't realize you have no free will until you consciously override all your unconscious programming by evaluating the choices you're making and asking yourself is it true that only jesus can save you and keep you out of hell is it true that veganism isn't the best philosophy or may have temporary or specific applications as opposed to broad applications is it true that everybody should eat paleo is it true that everyone should eat nose to tail is it true that um i can get by on four to five hours of sleep a night because tony robbins told me in a workshop most people just take things for granted and, and if it's coming from their superhero then they believe it carte blanche without realizing they're not that superhero. So, you know, it takes a while and, and we don't have people coaching at, as coaches or working as therapists at large, unless they're check trained professionals that actually have an awareness of 
the four doctors, but I'm talking about thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuiting. Most people are very dominant. They're very sensory dominant. So a lot of athletes are very good at feeling their body and feeling movement, but they're not great at using their mind effectively. Or you have people that are highly intuitive um, and they're their orientation toward their body and their senses is very subdued because these are complementary opposites. So the more dominant you are in thinking, the more suppressed feeling becomes. The more dominant you are in sensation, the more suppressed intuition becomes and vice versa. So in order to become a balanced human being and operate your, at your potential, you have to identify what your strength is. In our culture, we have a lot of very busy thinking minds but not people that are using their intuition, feeling, or are aware of their body. So we're in a very heady culture and the head will kill the body. Um, and if you don't evaluate those thoughts to see if they're actually working out for you, then you will be another person who's walking around with injured bodies and, and defending your philosophy while everybody else is looking at you and saying, well, it sure as hell ain't working very well. Um, so it, my point is that the, there's many things, and this is why it takes four to seven years to complete my training, because I actually have to take people through progressive stages of development of understanding the basics of how a body works, the basics of how a mind works, the basics of how emotions work, the science of rest, the science of movement, the science of exercise program design, the science of effective analysis, how the psyche works, how to identify challenges in the psyche. And by the time they come out, they've actually got a working toolkit to be a human being and achieve their potential. Uh, so we don't really have an exercise community that's oriented towards holistic education. We have an exercise community that's driven by the uh, exercise industry to sell products. And it doesn't go any further than that. In fact, I started lecturing professionally in 1988. I began traveling around the world in 1988, teaching people all about biomechanics, kinesiology, and why the approaches to exercise they were using were very dysfunctional. And people thought I was completely out of my mind. What was I teaching? Functional exercise. What was I showing them? We need to go back to what Eugene Sandow was doing in 1897. And oh, by the way, all you meatheads that think you're so strong, I got a question for you. Can any of you pick up a dumbbell that weighs 301 pounds from the floor and put it over your head? Can any of you take the stirrups of a horse and with one hand stand up and walk around on stage? Can any of you lift a log with 2,100 pounds of weight and 16 people standing on it? Can any of you lay on your back in a yoga pose and have a Model T car drive over you while you hold the whole thing up? No, 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 and no. And I don't care how many steroids you're using, but guess what? Eugene Sando did all these things before we had any sports nutrition, before we even had identified what vitamins were, before there was any steroids. And he did it with the solid knowledge of diet, lifestyle, and training intelligence. So we think we're getting smarter and more athletic, but all we're doing is playing biochemical tricks on the body that shorten athletes' careers and lead them to a confused end to why uh, they're in so much pain and they're dysfunctional and they're only 27.
Yeah, it's amazing how short the, the careers are of people. And I think one thing you said that there's a, a particular interest of mine is this idea of man as machine and how that misleads us. Uh, Very much so. Talks about the idea that, that we don't realize how much our thinking is rooted in metaphor. We can't effectively, you know, we have to essentially map the world with our physical bodies. And so we're looking for ways to think in our brain that, that reflect the world around us. And as we create technology, that technology creates frames through which we can think. And the frame of the machine has been this extraordinarily um, pervasive way of thinking about the body. And, and the mind is a computer. But the problem is, is the mind's much more than a computer. Yes. That's just a weak analogy. It's the best we have for the average person. But what, I could give you a 10-hour presentation on how the mind really works, and it involves the entire cosmos. Mm -hmm. Show me a computer that does that, and I'll kiss your ass on the highest table in the busiest restaurant in town. Wow. Show me a computer that can remote view. Show me a computer with intuition. Show me a computer that knows when a family member is about to die or someone's sick and nobody's talked to them about it. The technologies you're referring to are external technologies. People use their iPhone to get everywhere, but they can't read a map. A hundred years ago, you had to know the lay of the land. I grew up on a farm, a 140 acre farm with old growth standing timber on Vancouver Island, British Columbia. And you could get eaten by a cougar or a bear easily if you weren't paying attention. And you could get lost in the woods. And if you didn't know what side of the trees moss grew on or where the North Star was, you were screwed. And you'd need to go, you'd need to go back to Cub Scouts. We've got people running large corporations that really don't even know the basics of how to survive. And if the supermarket shut down, 98% of the world population would be utterly screwed because they know nothing about the earth about food, about farming, about any of the essentials we had to know till the beginning of the industrial revolution. So we're the smartest dumb people that have ever been on this planet, unfortunately. And all these so-called technologies and biohacking are doing nothing but denigrating our powers of intimacy and relationship with ourself and our environment, all of which show up in how well you do with any exercise program. <laughs> let alone relationships. So there's a random question, but I'll lead somewhere interesting. Have you ever read the books uh, Play by Stuart Brown? No. Well, I don't so need that, to because I play all the time. <laughs> so in that book, he talks about um, NASA. So NASA was you know, hiring engineers and they were having success hiring engineers. And then all of a sudden they started to find that there were a certain class of engineers who were coming in who were really struggling, even though they were obviously highly qualified. They all came from MIT or Harvard, or, you know. Um, Which is usually the worst thing. Yeah. So, so let me finish the thought here. Yeah. The uh, what what they started to study which of these MIT grads were successful and which one. Mm -hmm. What they discovered was that the difference between the successful ones didn't have anything to do with their grades or their GREs or anything. It had everything to do with whether, as children, they had been allowed to take apart and put together things. Yes. Mm -hmm. The reason I bring this up is you grew up on a farm. Yep. Right. And how many exercise scientists or nutritionists come out of academia without having had their hands in the soil, without having seen things uh, be birthed and 
taking care of all the basic physical processes that go on on a farm. So I'm curious for you, if you think how you think that aspect of having grown up on a farm informed uh, the holistic health approach. I wouldn't even be able to speak honestly and authentically about holistic health if I had not come from that Milu. I would have no concept of what it is. When you're on a farm and your outcomes are, are your survival, if we make mistakes and it kills our sheep or the hay gets uh, rained on because we were not fast enough getting it out of the field and a myriad of other things or we plant at the wrong time in the year or we don't water enough or we overwater or we don't drain a field, then you have bogs and you get hoof rot and you have a myriad of problems. I mean, you learn on a farm that everything's connected to everything. And if you're not on top of an intimate connection with weather patterns and your intuitive insights about how, um, whether an animal's lame or not, uh, whether the plants have uh, fungal infections, et cetera, et cetera, then you're dead. You're, you're, it's going to cost you so much money, it can put you right out of business and you'll be bankrupt uh, and begging for money. And your neighboring farmers will have to come rescue you from your stupidity. Uh, also, farming communities are famous for working together and supporting each other and solving problems, building barns and doing things. And we've become so individualized in our pursuits that we often don't, um, we don't effectively use the genius of other people to support our genius. So we stay too narrow in our understanding of life and of the process of creation or completion, uh, the things I was talking about in the beginning. So we also have doctors the average medical doctor today only does four hours of training in nutrition in their entire four years in medical school. They stopped using cadavers in most medical schools and all their anatomies taught on a computer. How in the hell could you learn the anatomy of a three-dimensional body on a flat two-dimensional screen? It's impossible. We have doctors that look at MRIs and make critical decisions as to whether or not you need surgery without realizing there's a myriad of things you cannot see on an MRI. And I've known too many cases to count of people being told they would never be able to play football or ride their skateboard again because of what a doctor saw on an MRI. Danny Way is a perfect example of that and many, many others. I could give you a long list of the most elite athletes in the world that came to me in that very position. Well, it took me four and a half months to rehab Danny Way, went back and won his first contest, made $25,000 first day on the job. But the doctors had given him an ironclad, you must never ride a skateboard again. Your neck's too damaged, your spinal cord's damaged. And he got so depressed, he became suicidal until he found me. And Robbie Madison, who's broken every one of Evil Knievel's records, had a bad wipeout subluxed one of his ribs that pressed into the aorta and every doctor and therapist he went to said we can't fix that because if we push if we pull the rib out of there you might bleed to death so nobody would touch him and all the doctors told them do not get on a motorcycle it could be the last ride of your life you will bleed to death in seconds if that aorta has been punctured it took me about eight minutes to fix him up 
and release him back to mo motorcycle stunt performances. And he went on to be in James Bond movies and set more world records. And I've got a video testimonial where he says exactly that. And, and my point is, we've actually developed an education system that does not educate, it just conveys information. But information without experience is very dangerous. And information that isn't interfacing in a way that it's congruent with the environment is dangerous. A farmer with a lot of skill can read a book on mycology and understand it if he's had some experience with challenges with the uh, fungus in his environment and knows what a fungus is and can connect the dots. But somebody who's just starting a farm who has uh, too much water in their land or their plants are full of fungal infections and tries to read a book on mycology will probably be more dangerous to their farm than they will be helpful. So your, your engineers are, are used to looking at diagrams, but they don't have any experience. I'm, I'm also a mechanic and I used to build my own race cars and I'm a marine mechanic as well. And I also was trained in the army to repair weapon systems on the most advanced helicopters in the world, Cobra helicopters. So I spent a year, eight hours a day in a very comprehensive electronics school. And we go from learning about a few key circuits to going into the shop and taking the, you know, the rocket launchers apart or the uh, Gatling gun apart or various other things. And this circuit lives here in this box and it controls these functions. And here's the power source. Here's the resistors, capacitors, etc., And we then see how it actually functions. As a mechanic, many times I have sat there cussing out whoever designed the car. For example, there are Fords that I've had to work on. Like when the first Ford V8 um, new style Mustangs came out, you actually, and some of them have to undo the engine mount, the motor mount to lift the block up with a jack to get the spark plugs out. And I'm like, who is the dickhead that designed a car that costs $500 to change the spark plugs because you have to practically lift the engine out of the car. You can go to any gym and in seconds, I can show you leg presses, knee extensions, hand, and almost every piece of equipment in the gym was designed by somebody that used to be a carpenter or a plumber or a mechanic that knows nothing about the biomechanics of the human body. And I used to show all the time in my lectures how the biomechanics of the body were not interfacing with these machines and were actually wearing joints out, dysfunctional cores, ruining athletes. And I would do, uh, I would do biomotor skills testing on them, agility, coordination, speed, et cetera, balance. And these guys were useless, but they were so proud of themselves because they could squat twice, two and a half times their body weight on a Smith machine. I say, good, let me see what you can do with a barbell. And they'd go from 550 pounds and they could barely squat two and a quarter. And I'm yeah. like, this, this is the problem. You see, you cannot apply more strength in a functional environment than you can lift in a functional environment. So we had a whole exercise industry based on concepts that were developed by people that had no understanding, no holistic understanding of the body interfacing with the technology. So- yeah. 
in a nutshell, what I'm saying is we've got an entire education system that is so detached from the application of what it teaches that the world yeah. is the way it is right now because largely of our completely and utterly corporate driven education systems that are all about making money and selling products, but not about educating people, more about brainwashing them into believing that they can't get by without an iPhone or whatever. So there's a lot in there that's, that's really intriguing for me. And one of the ideas that's popping in is this idea that essentially we live within a, an ecology, right? We live within an ecology on any number of levels, but one of them is- a, On a this planet. Right? <laughs> right? We have an ecology of information, right? Mm -hmm. And information can be positive or negative. It can, it can, it can be useful or non-useful, but how, how it impacts is dependent on the rest of the ecology, right? So we have, you know, Nietzsche had that idea of the intellectual as the atrophied fetal human being with the giant ear, right? Where, where they've just absorbed information, but it's it's propositional information, as my friend Verbeke talks about it. It's just semantic symbols. It's not the procedural, actually being able to do the thing or the perspective of doing the thing. And so we, 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 we're, we're propagating and building all of this information, massively more information in a lot of ways than has ever existed, but it's divorced from context to inform it. Yes. And, and so here's the question. If someone wants to understand the body deeply and they recognize that the body is not, that, that you can't understand the body completely as a machine, right? It's impossible. Or from physiology. Because it's not a machine. <laughs> yeah. You can't understand it without having some context of its evolution, of the environment in which it moves, of all these other things. But they can't go back and restart their life on a farm on Vancouver Island. Right? Well, that, that, that's how not we necessary. Yeah. Well, how you, do we get in the game? Well, you, to build that. That, that's what the entire Czech Institute's about. Well, there you that's, go. that's what I devoted my whole life to. You learn how to be in your body to start with. I mean, I just lectured at your embodied movement conference. Yeah. You know, if you look at statistics on derealization, which is how many people are not even in their bodies, it's very high. Um, some studies say as high as 52% of people live in a state of derealization, which means they're living in a cloud somewhere. Um, by the way, it, to your previous comment, Jung said intellectualism is a common cover-up for fear of direct experience. He basically said the more references you see behind an article, usually the less the person knows about what they're talking about, because if they were, had authentic knowledge of their own, they wouldn't need to reference other people. But we have an academic institution that prides you on how many references you have as smarter because you've referenced 88 or 188 other authors, which means you're just cutting and pasting their information. So, you know, my real big, one of my main offerings to the whole exercise community was to understand what functional exercise is and to how to engage it. But unfortunately, like most things, we went from being a machine dominant exercise culture to beginning to implement things like Swiss balls, which I, I was largely responsible for bringing to the 
resistance training industry. Prior to that, it was only used in aerobics classes and rehab and physio clinics. Um, but what I really brought was a science of human movement and a science of anatomy and physiology that included diet and lifestyle factors, mentally emotional factors. And what happened? Now you've got people uh, doing push-ups on two skateboards going down a hill with someone sitting on their back doing kettlebell swings and they call that functional exercise. You know, I call it the double down twisted dog fucker exercise. You know, it's like, and to show how bad it is, I've done demonstrations like this very frequently when I'm teaching classes. Uh, I'll give you a great example. I was teaching uh, a ch advanced check training program in a gym in Calgary uh, maybe 10 years ago or so. I don't teach those lower classes anymore. But I was saying, you know, you, you have to be very, very careful about the idea of, you know, orthopedic surgeons have a saying, see one, do one, teach one, which means watch another surgeon do a knee surgery that you've never done before, do one, and then now you're the teacher. And I said to my students, you watch, I will go down and this place had a multi-level facility. And on the second floor was racquetball court. So you could stand kind of on the hallway around the racquetball courts. And in the middle was a big open pit. So you could look down into the gym. So I had all 14 of my students go stand upstairs and I said, watch this. And then they had these big plyometric boxes sitting in the middle of the gym. I went and put a, uh, what did I do? I put 135, maybe, maybe 225 on an Olympic bar. I stepped up onto one of the boxes, spun around twice, did two 360s and then stepped down and did like six or eight reps of that. And I said, when I, do my last rep, start your stopwatch and see how long it takes one of the trainers from this gym to do that with one of their clients. It took two minutes and 37 seconds. And some trainer had a woman of about 45 years old with a barbell on her back and she wasn't fit enough to carry her purse. And he had her doing exactly the same exercise. In another gym in Australia, to prove my point, I said, I'm going to do a set of exercises you've probably never seen before. And I want you to see how long it takes before a trainer does it with a client. I took a 45 pound or a 20 kilo barbell uh, weight plate off the end of a leg press. And I cleaned and jerked it for six or eight reps and had it standing vertically in my hand, which is an exercise I just made up. And in one minute and 10 seconds, a trainer had another woman, probably 45 or 50 years old, trying to do that with 25 pound plates with no knowledge of whether her body was ready for it. No understanding of the load on her body, the, the biomechanics, how, how to assess whether or not she was moving properly, whether it was safe. And we have a system called CrossFit that trashes the living shit out of people that are not adequately prepared and keeps orthopedic surgeons and check professionals very busy, even though CrossFit's very emotional about it when research comes out showing that and even sued people for that, saying that. Um, but the reality of it is, I remember one time I walked into, I had a patient, a famous uh, guy, Richard Dunwoody, who um, was a famous horse racer from England and a race car driver who had a severe neck injury. He'd had about 40 bad falls off a of horse's and um, had such severe spinal cord compression, his whole left arm had atrophied to where there was almost just bone. He couldn't shift gears in his race car anymore. It's from England, so they drive on the other side. Um, 
so I had to take him to see uh, a surgeon who I knew and worked with, which was Paul Murphy, who later became the do doctor for the San Diego Chargers for a number of years, to, to do some um, scans on okay. his necks. Was that huh? Danny Way's doctor as well? No, that was Bill Previte. Um, so to do some scans on his neck and get an evaluation as to how much damage there was in there, just so I had an idea of, of what I'm working with. And as soon as Paul Murphy saw me with Richard Dunwoody, he pulled me aside and he said, do you know about this whole CrossFit movement? I said, of course I do. He said, man, is it making us a lot of money? We're just doing surgeries in here on all sorts of people that have blown their backs and necks out and shoulders and knees out in CrossFit. Now, I don't give a shit about CrossFit. I'm not anti-CrossFit. I'm just simply making the point. If you don't have the knowledge of how the body works and you don't understand biomechanics and kinesiology, you don't know how to load the body or periodize an exercise program, you can be the most dangerous guy with the most clients and the coolest Porsche in the parking lot because you're a good salesman and you talk a lot of cool stuff, but people don't have the knowledge to realize that you're destroying athletes. I've been a consultant for Olympic committees, professional sports teams in numerous sports, university teams all over the world. And almost every single case where I was brought in, the conditioning staff was the cause of the injuries I was being called in to resolve because nobody could figure it out. I could tell you a hundred of these stories easily. And so, yeah. you know, what I'm saying is we don't have an education system that's oriented towards understanding the things that you not only need to know intellectually, but as a Czech professional, you have to go through the training and you have to demonstrate live in front of your instructors that you actually can do what you're being taught to do, whether it be an assessment or teaching an exercise and you're tested and you cannot move forward in your training until you demonstrate proficiency. And I used to grade all of those case histories myself. I only now grade the ones coming into level four for advanced training. But the point is, is I built the system so that the education was interfaced with the experience of applying it. Whether you're a medical doctor, a personal trainer, or a housewife, you still have to go through the same training. Otherwise, like you said, you don't have the ecology to go with the information. So you don't really know how to apply concepts so that they're A, effective, B, sustainable, and C, therapeutic. And so what you get is a bunch of smart people trashing people for money. And that's one of the reasons we have so much drug use, medical drug use, so much need for wraps, straps, props, so much people, so many athletes pursuing performance enhancement drugs and supplements instead of just training properly. I mean, just the fact that things like Red Bull and Five Hour Energy are popular is a direct measure of the unconsciousness of the public because things like Monster Red Bull and Five Hour Energy would never be touched by anybody in a gym if they actually knew how their body worked and they would manage things like coffee, tea, and sugar very carefully as well, but they don't. For example, you cannot normalize the respiratory rate of anyone eating processed sugar. 
with if they're eating any degree of processed sugar, even a teaspoon can change your respiratory rate. Why? Because it's an acid and it almost instantly elevates the pH of your blood or decreases it to acid. And your blood has to be kept at 7.35 pH in a very tight range or you're going to die. So the instant you start putting an acid as strong as processed sugar in your body, you start hyperventilating because oxygen alkalinizes the bloodstream. So you've got people taking breathing workshops all over the world that have no idea the influence of the diet, the influence of their thoughts. They don't often teach the mechanics of breathing. So you've got people doing very advanced breathing techniques, uh, going to workshops, doing cold therapy, but I have these people come to me with all sorts of problems and I evaluate them, they can't even breathe properly. And they're doing advanced yogic breathing. And I'm like, well, you got to start at the beginning. You have to actually make sure that the body can breathe properly. People don't understand the difference between breathing and respiration. I mean, there's just a myriad of things. People, I've never seen a single exercise training manual yet in my entire 37 year career that taught how to breathe properly with different exercises from the deadlift to bench pressing to cable pulling. And most manuals have the breathing backwards if they mention breathing. In fact, I just got a book in the mail recently written by a famous person that has a television show on Gaia TV and they're teaching exercise and the breathing cycle is reversed to how the body breathes. Breathing- reversed. You mean they're basically telling people to to breathe exhale when they should be inhaling so this particular book had a person pushing two dumbbells over their head but it instructed them to breathe out as they pushed up your whole spine goes through axial extension when you inhale so if you're breathing out your sternal angle is increasing your manubium is dropping and it's trying to push your whole scapula forward into pronation which is the opposite direction it has to go when you're pushing your arms overhead but why that's so important is because the respiratory centers of the brain are the king of controlling the motor system because oxygen is the most essential nutrition nutrient for survival in your whole body. It's more important than water or food. You got about five minutes before your brain starts to die unless you're Wim Hof without oxygen. So the entire motor system is actually a ventilatory system first and foremost And anything that threatens the breathing apparatus will cause compensations throughout the entire kinetic chain to try to optimize the breathing process. So for example, if someone's doing a lat pull down and they're in a prone grip, and as they're pulling down, they're breathing out, which is what most people do. They're actually having their rib cage move forward while their shoulders are going backward, which will just stretch the hell out of the anterior capsule of the shoulder joint because the rib cage is moving in the opposite direction of the shoulder. Now, th- I'm just giving you simple little snippets. Yeah, yeah. When I go work for a professional sports team or walk into a gym, I practically have to hold the vomit back because I see the best athletes in the world being destroyed. Kobe Bryant had to come to me because he couldn't jump off his left leg. And after over a year of seeing doctors and therapists, he can afford anybody. He did nothing but get worse. It took me about 10 steps and looking at him to identify he had an atlas subluxation. I put him on my bilateral scales. I think he was like 22 pounds heavy on his left leg. 
I corrected his atlas, normalized his weight shift. He walked out into my gym. I said, try it. He jumped up in the air and he practically started to cry. He said, how in the fuck did you figure that out in less than 10 minutes and get my pain to go away when I've been seeing doctors and therapists for a year straight and doing nothing but get worse? I said, because I actually know how your body works and I know what controls what. And your atlas is very high in the control system. And the atlas is the most commonly sublux vertebra in the human spinal column. It's the least stable and has the least ligamentous support. And very few people have any idea how to assess it or correct it unless they're a check level three or check level four practitioner or a nuca chiropractor or somebody with very specialized skills. But there's an example of something very simple that somebody with adequate skill of how the body works would have been able to spot in him instantly. Yeah, there are not too many of those apparently. But not, well, the, the, the thing is, it's, it's, it's sad, but again, it's a product of our educational system. And the biggest problem we have is we don't have an education system. We have a product sales system. When I yep. begin lecturing, people used to pay me as much as $1,000 a lecture. They would pay my airfare, my expenses to get me there. Now I actually have to either sponsor the conference or pay them money to give a presentation at their conference so that I can provide education for people so they can not only make money off me being there, but take money out of my pocket. And almost every single presentation and conferences today is tied to a product and sponsored by product. In fact, I got kicked out of two conferences one of them was the National Strength and Conditioning Association, even though I got extremely good turnouts and an average speaker score of 4.79 on their ratings because the sponsors said, every time Paul check lectures, we don't sell anything. So if you let him come lecture, we will not sponsor your conference. So two key providers, one in Australia, which was Filex and, and, and National Strength and Conditioning Association, banned me from lecturing because their sponsors were so threatened. Because when I educated people in my classes on what these gadgets were actually doing to their body, they wouldn't buy stuff from the trade shows. So I said to them, are you running an educational conference or a sales conference? Because you're pawning it off as an education conference and it's not. I used to get so irritated at Reebok because they were trying to teach people how to use the core board for everything from herpes to hemorrhoids. And I'm like that you're, you're way extremely overvaluing and overprescribing what a wobble board can do. And it's only one of a myriad of pieces of equipment that you have to learn how to use effectively. So I'm just highlighting the answer to your question, why things are the way they are. Yeah, so there's a couple themes here that I'm, I'm picking up. One is, uh, well, obviously the education system is flawed, um, but it's it's flawed because of uh, so incentive structures. So this is something I notice within my own little corner of the world, right? I'm in the, the movement world. Like functional fitness is a is a is kind of a brand or a a movement that happened within the fitness world. I and, practically uh, created the term, my friend. Yeah, I yeah. Div the what you know of is the core. I developed that concept. There sure. was no core until Paul Check put it on the map and told people what it is. And to this day, 99% of personal trainers could not tell you what the components of the core are. 
Yeah, and so there's so you you put out some work, and it, it had some words associated with it, and then a lot of people um, put out poor copies of it, and now the whole idea <laughs> yes. of functional fitness is kind of a joke, right? And in the same sense, the world of movement right now is something where that I'm very passionate about. I believe like that when we think about what we need is movement, right? That's a really powerful frame. And yet when I see a lot of movement online, um, it looks like nonsense to me. I, I, I had this realization that so movement is like, we, we need to be generalist, right? A human animal is the, mo is the most diverse, diversely capable mover in the animal kingdom. Nothing else has our diversity of dexterity. And, um, and our brain, our whole brain is built on top of that motor capacity. So movement is a powerful thing. But when you take on being a generalist, you have this problem, which is that you have to learn what a bunch of specialists do. And you're never going to be as good at the specialists at what they do, right? But the specialists all do some weird things, right? So you can punch a tennis ball, right? Now, a boxer punches a tennis ball. But a boxer knows that punching a tennis ball is a tenth of a percent of what makes them a good boxer. Sparring and hitting a heavy bag is what makes them a good boxer, right? Well, so you can yeah, sparring, training, yeah. real yeah. training. <laughs> yeah, you can go, be, but, but you're, you're never going to look like, like Roy Jones or Muhammad Ali as a generalist, but you can go be better than them at hitting the tennis ball, right? Or you well, can you go be better, look better at, than them. I mean, it just depends on your genetics and how good your diet is and your lifestyle, but looks don't mean performance either. I've seen a lot of fit, well, sick yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not talking about, about the, the physical appearance. I'm talking about, you can look better at them doing oh. the skill of hitting the ball. Right. Oh yeah. 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 I see what you're saying. Right. If you pick up a bunch of low value stuff from a bunch of other disciplines, yeah. And you can look like you're really good at doing stuff related to everything else. But what you're really doing is avoiding the core nourishment in each of those things. By you, the way, I was just going to say, speaking to your term of general movement, that's why I developed the primal pattern movement system. Yeah. I showed that there are seven key movement patterns that you must have functional mastery of, or you will not survive in nature. And we all are products of an evolution through nature. And it doesn't matter what the environment's like right now, because you still have to do those seven movement patterns every day. You still get on and off of toilets. You still go up and down stairs. You get in and out of cars, dot, dot, dot. But we have people that can't even get on and off of a toilet. Oh, yeah. I, have, I have athletes that are elite athletes that fail primal pattern testing almost every time because their core's dysfunctional. They've been training wrong. They have inflammation and in joints inflammation in their guts they don't know how to do the movements correctly their balance is too poor but to point out what you're saying i'm doing general motor skills testing that mm -hmm. anybody could do and to prove my point to my students because a lot of them fail the test and get all pissed off and don't believe what i'm saying to them i say fine and on many occasions i've brought children in that, I, that maybe the next door neighbor next to my clinic or somebody walking by or I'll say, go find a kid in the parking lot and bring them in here. And I'll run primal pattern tests on kids that are six, seven years old and they'll do every exercise perfect. And they've never actually been trained in squatting, lunging, bending, pushing, pulling, twisting, or gait. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yet they do it beautifully. And I say, okay, good. There's a seven-year-old who just proved to you that without 
any training other than the experience of interfacing with their environment, their body naturally knows what to do because that's a survival instinct. So yeah. what I'm reiterating is I developed the primal pattern movement system to objectively demonstrate the essential things that you have to know to survive in a field of gravity, be it in the forest or in an oil yard or in a UPS truck or as a nurse moving people from gurney to gurney or a doctor bending over looking inside some orifice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I have my, my system of, of, of three fundamental, uh, not movement patterns, but movement ca categories, right? We need to be uh -huh. able to locomote the body. We need to be able to manipulate objects and we need to be able to move with other living things that move reciprocally, what, right? What was the first one? A locomotion. Yeah, you got to move. What was the second one? Manipulation. Which is? Objects. Lifting, carrying, throwing. With objects. The last one is interaction. Can well, I you're, coordinate? Aren't you already interacting objects? if you're lifting something? Interaction with another living or dynamic organism, right? Like so, pushing on another football player. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Or dancing and fighting and group work, right? Mm -hmm. These are the three... Fundamentals that I extracted actually from uh, from Georges Hebert's Méthode Naturelle ideas, right? Are you familiar with those? Uh, Georges Hebert was a French physical culturalist from the turn of the century um, who studied the, the movement of, of tribal people after he, um, he was involved in a volcano rescue. And he saw that wow. the people who were native there had these incredible abilities to move without any education except for their lives in nature. And so he said, you have to be able to walk, run, jump, climb, move on all fours, lift, throw, uh, balance, swim, and defend yourself. If you, if you engage actively in those categories regularly, then you'll be fit, right? Those mm -hmm. are the, the uh, central things. So anyways, we, we could go deep down that, that, that subject of the evolutionary frame on, on, on human movement, but What's interesting to me, or, or what I wanted to loop back to, was this: how the market can distort, right? So you 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 came, you know, with functional fitness, and now everyone wants to sell a gadget that's functional, right? And now there's move, movement, natural movement, movement culture, and if you can do something, if you can do some party tricks. You can get lots of views on Instagram. Yeah, but, or you can get lots of clients. <laughs> well, the views they, on Instagram theoretically are what turns you uh, people into clients, right? Yeah, my point is just that you can get lots of likes and you can get lots of clients, but uh, that doesn't mean that you are effectively skilled enough. Just because someone's a great athlete does not make them a good coach, teacher, or therapist. Absolutely. That's a big, big misunderstanding. I've seen lots of famous athletes who got gold medals or whatever get into the exercise industry and, and just make a complete mess of people not realizing that, you, you know, it was like a, I was a consultant for the Canberra Raiders rugby team, which if you're not from Australia, you probably wouldn't know, but they're kind of like, you know, one of our famous teams. They've won the championships many times and they hired me because their whole first string was injured. They had uh, 10 of their top players, their whole 
top 10 players were all badly injured and nobody could figure out on their medical staff what to do with them. And um, I forgot what I was going to tell you about with that. Uh, anyhow, uh, how, how people. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you. Me. Yeah. Well, one of the guys that was there, this was 1995. Um, so they hired me for quite a long period of time because I had to evaluate, design the programs, train the athletes, teach the physical therapy staff and medical staff how to keep the programs going so that when I rewrote new programs, they could implement them without me being there. And one of the guys that was on the team, and they also had me train their entire farm team how to lift weights properly. But one of the guys at the time was only like 19 years of age. And one day I was teaching a workshop somewhere, you know, this is probably like three, four years ago. And this guy who's now 40 something walks up to me, shakes my hand and says, do you remember me? I said, no, should I? He said, yes, you rehabilitated me when I was on the Canberra Raiders. I used to be one on the first string of the Canberra Raiders when you came and fixed us all up. And he said, I want you to know that that injury was the best thing that ever happened to me because without it, I wouldn't have got to meet you. And he said, when I became a personal trainer, the first thing that I had to keep reminding myself is I can't train people like professional athletes. But he said it was very hard for me because everybody wants to be tortured but I kept remembering all the little blood pressure cuff exercises and neck exercises and stuff that you taught us and how you took us all the way back to the beginning and built us all up. So he said, I just wanted to say to you that being injured and meeting you and learning from you gave me the foundation I needed so that I really help people instead of ruining them. And he says, I watch what people do to the gym in the gym. And it reminds me of when I was a professional rugby player before you came along and they used just to torture the shit out of us and <laughs> call it exercise. Yeah, it's funny in, in the CrossFit community, they talk about any assholes workout, which is this idea that, that any asshole can make you sweat and want to vomit, but it actually yeah. takes some, some intelligence to design a workout that actually progresses somebody over time. And you know, as a coach, you might even think, what's the least discomfort I can create, the least pain that I can create for this client that's going to get them the most results, right? Minimum effective dose. Well, that's why I say train, don't drain. Yeah, that's a great one. I also say perfect practice makes perfect, which I learned from my wife. And I also say repetition is the mother of skill, provided there is skill in the repetition. You see... Mm -hmm. I've worked with the Russian Olympic weightlifting team, for example, and those guys have a degree of skill from years and years of training that their last rep looks as good as the first rep. I've watched guys clean and jerk 455, 500 pounds, and they're completely exhausted at the end of their set, but you cannot see the difference between the first and the sixth rep or the first and the third or whatever their last rep is because their motor systems are developed effectively and they won't lift past the point that they can lift with good technique because when you got that much weight you can snap vertebra you know yeah. so you you see that in different countries and different cultures they take different approaches um and when when the athlete's longevity and performance is important 
then therapists and, and staff members and managers are oriented towards preserving the athlete. But in our culture, in the West, they move athletes like they move meat. If you're not performing well or you're injured, they just trade you or get rid of you and they couldn't give a shit. You're, I, I have had many very emotional, intense conversations with general managers of sports teams who, when I showed them the analysis, said, this guy is in a very dangerous situation. And I would hear comments like, I don't give a fuck. Do whatever you got to do to get them in the game. And I said, OK, I'll tell you what. You can get one more game out of him, and that's the end of his career. Or you can get three more seasons out of him if you let me do what I need to do. And every single time they said, I don't give a fuck, get him in the next game. I don't care about anything past that. If he doesn't work out, we'll get rid of him. And that's, they, they treat professional athletes like um, Lego, Lego blocks. They can clip in and clip out and just throw over their shoulder and don't realize that that can completely ruin that person's entire athletic career. They couldn't give a shit. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, Sorry, there's a couple of different directions there. One, that's terrible, right? All and the time it's going on to this good. very minute. Yeah, I believe that completely that, you know, my wife and I actually were talking about this today, that the difference between like looking at your capacity to create something in a sustainable way versus the short-term productivity, right? Going back to this whole idea of are we, are we farmers, right? Are we, are we here for a long time to make this thing work or are we just... Are we, are we miners coming to strip mine the thing and get out? And, and you know, so much of our industry is, is, is trying to extract resources as fast as possible and move on. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that is how much, like I, I, I find myself mentally struggling with this. I'm 30, I'll be 39 next month. And, and I know the actuarial table on athleticism. Right. And I love to do what I do. I love to be flying through the air and connecting things and moving in nature. And I'm like, well, how long can I keep getting better at this? And it's, and you see athletes burning out, you know, 30 years old, 28 years old. And you think, man, like, what's like, is this, is this, is the grim reaper over my shoulder too? And what I always try to remind myself is that's not just aging. That's, the intentional extraction of an athlete to get as much out of him as possible or her, uh, you know, with the least investment in their future, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you can get, you can get so much productivity out of a patch of soil in a given period of time and you can exhaust it for years afterwards, or you can treat it in a way that's going to allow it to replenish year after year after year. And so I think it's really useful for people to remember that when you're looking at these elite athletes who are burned out at 27 years old, they're not being treated as soil that's going to be used for they're commodities. Oil. Yeah, they're just tradable options, nothing else. There's no human connection at all. It used to shock and dismay and sadden me, um, you know, because even though the team's hiring me, I'm working on the human being, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm working on someone that has a wife and often kids and their future is really hanging in the choice that a general manager makes at that very moment. And there's been times when I flat out refuse, no, I will not do that. 
you're going to have to find somebody else to do that because I have a moral responsibility to support the human being that you call the athlete or the player. And if I'm making, if, if you're paying me to do something that'll help you win a season, but end his career and get him traded, then you're not paying me enough and you never will be able to pay me enough. There's not enough money in the world. Uh, so there's been times when I just wouldn't do it and said, sorry, you're going to have to find someone else to do that. I'm not going to do that. And the fact that you're doing it is uh, says a lot about your organization. Thank you for sharing that. It actually brings up a point I wanted to, to address, which is I'll wrap a couple things in here. You talked about CrossFit and I came up in the fitness industry right as CrossFit was taking off, right? And I studied it and I thought there was a lot of really good ideas within the CrossFit community. But the big problem is the two-day certification. And I was actually approached and offered to teach, to develop a parkour certification for them. And I was like, well, I'll teach a seminar for you guys, but you can't call it a certification because you can't certify someone in two days. Nobody can learn to do anything in two days. No, and except how to get hurt. So for you, so then, you know, over the years, people, someone asked me, how do you, how do, how does the consumer select a good coach? Like, how do you know that a coach is a good coach? And I sat with that and I thought about that. And I, and I came up with three things. A coach needs to care deeply about solving the problems of the athlete in front of them. Mm -hmm. right? This is what you just said, right? I actually cared about those people. Mm -hmm. This is why you've been able to make those changes with people. Second, they need the knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can care about solving a problem, but if you don't know, you know, your ass from a hole in the ground, you're not going to be able to help. More and, important than knowledge is wisdom, though. Knowledge is just a, a collection of ideas. Wisdom is the experience of what happens when you apply those ideas and knowing when those ideas are effective or not effective. So That's, if a coach doesn't have enough experience, they won't have any wisdom and knowledge without wisdom is very dangerous. Bill Gates has a lot of knowledge, but he has almost no wisdom. I mean, how can a guy that designs computer software control the entire medical system and political system? It's just, I mean, there's just an example of knowledge without wisdom. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that's a, a great correction. Thank you. And then the last thing is that they need to have the charisma to com to convince the athlete that the solution offered is worth doing, right? Because I, I can care true. about you. I, I can know I can know what you need, but if I can't compel, if I can't get you to do it, then it doesn't matter. And and I, when I'm when I made that realization, I realized that to be successful in the industry, you only need the last one, right? Mm -hmm. You can be dumb as stones right you can give you can not care about people at all but if you can can compel them then you can make money um, yes yeah and and the other thing that, that a person needs to know to select a good coach is they need to know to be smart enough to go talk to the athletes they've worked with and get the inside scoop on how many of those athletes have had long careers how injuries were handled um basically were they producing a higher ratio of successful athletes relative to injured athletes for example when i was the trainer of the army boxing team 
and I began implementing my strategies. I got resistance after resistance after resistance from the coaches, but they had no knowledge of exercise science or any of these things we're talking about. And one day, one of the coaches says to me, check, how can you tell us what to do? We know you're a smart guy, but we have a lot of experience making champion athletes. And I looked the head coach right in the eyes and I said, yes, but I have a question for you. For every champion you've made, how many champions did you ruin through the ineffective application of diet, diet, rest, and the science of exercise? And I'll give you an example. Having athletes put full sweats on and go into a sauna turned up to maximum heat while taking what were called piss pills to stimulate your kidneys to make you excessively urinate to drop weight and skipping rope in a sauna, oftentimes for hours, to lose 12 or 15 pounds because they had not scientifically designed the weight loss program and managed the nutrition, and they can't figure out why guys are getting knocked out in the end of the second round and performing poorly in the third round. And here's another example, feeding athletes a teaspoon of honey in the corner between rounds, which shoots your blood sugar through the fucking roof and brings on a low blood sugar state very quickly, because that's what other champions had done, right? Well, they survive their coaches. I said, most great athletes survive their coaches. The coaches don't make them. The athlete makes the coach famous for surviving the coach. So the point I'm making is to shop for a good coach, you actually have to talk to the athletes. How long has your career been? What kind of challenges have you been through? And how did your coach work with you to get you through the challenges? And when you see sustainability and effective interface between the coach and a multidisciplinary approach where the coach has enough knowledge to say, okay, you need to see this chiropractor, you need to see that rolfer, or you need to see the Feldenkrais practitioner. Then you have a coach that has enough life experience and wisdom to be worth investing your time and energy in. Yeah. I, I think I, I came up, I had this idea a while ago that when you, when you see a, a track record of success, it can be evidence of two things. You could be good at creating talent or you can be good at finding it. And Either one. Yeah. You may not be good at nurturing it. And having, having found talent, you know, there's, I think a, a lot of systems are, they're meat grinders, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they select for the people who have the resilience to su survive them yeah and then those people are successful because they have the genetics that made them able to survive that right yeah there's one other thing too and that is the question does the coach practice what they preach yeah i'm almost 60 years old and i can still outrun and outlift most young professional athletes and it completely freaks them out and they always say, how do you do it? I say, I actually do what I teach you and all my students to do. A lot of them think I'm using steroids. And I say, if you knew a damn thing about steroids, you wouldn't even consider that because I have not one indicator of a steroid user. Mm -hmm. You're just insecure because I'm old enough to be your dad and I'm giving you an ass kicking in here. But yeah. the reality of it is, I'll tell you the names of my steroids. They're very complex, hard to understand names. Can you say chicken, carrot, tomato, sleep, water, rest, good sex, art, and play? <laughs>
Those are good ones. Those are my drugs. Yeah. I mean, a steroid is a, is an artificial way of increasing your capacity to recover and put on tissue. Um, while, but you, you don't know, recover. <laughs> yeah, you while do destroying your endocrine system, right? And your and, liver. And your liver and your, uh, and your lipids. And potentially your kidneys, a number of things. I've seen lots of professional football players and uh, competitive wrestlers, like television wrestlers and bodybuilders that have just completely and uttered by the time they're 37, 38, they look like they're 60. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a devil's bargain. Um, yeah. So we, we scheduled for an hour and a half and, uh, it's been about that long. Uh, I'd really love to have a conversation with you a little bit more about meaning and uh, the spiritual side of this, because we, I think that you, you mentioned this idea of orientation. How do we solve this problem? We have to understand meaning and how, mm-hmm. how that impacts motivation. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's kind of a bridge too far for us to get into at this stage. I think this is uh, something we'll have to come back to. Does that sound good to you? Thanks for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you really like the content we're putting out, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps tremendously in getting the word out about what we're doing. And of course, you really want to support us. You can support us on Patreon. This is a listener-funded podcast. And through your funding, it allows us to have the best equipment and to attract the best guests and build our audience. So we really appreciate it if you do those things. And we look forward to talking to you next time.